Hi, this is Chris Campbell, and welcome to the Food Institute Podcast. Today, we will be speaking with Fran Guzman, Lead of Insights and Strategy at the Kraft Heinz Company, with a focus on consumer demand for healthy products from before the pandemic to the current day. But first, whether you are a first-time listener or becoming something of a regular, we ask that you share this episode on your social media platforms. It really helps us expand our reach, and we appreciate it when you do so. So with that all said, I'll introduce Fran and start by asking how he's doing today. So how are you? I am very well. Thanks for asking and thanks for the invite. Oh, we're glad to have you on the show. And I think it would be useful for our listeners to have a little bit of an idea of who you are and where you come from. So could you give us a little background on yourself and also kind of your role with Kraft Heinz? Yeah, of course. Um, so yes, I am currently the lead of insights and strategy uh, for our snacking and beverages portfolio at Kraft Heinz. So that includes uh, some of our brands that you've heard of, probably Kool-Aid, Capri Sun, Maxwell House, Planters, um, you know, in general. And I've been in this space for about eight years, right? Kind of that uh, food and beverage space and CPG restaurants and then consulting as well. So I've had that opportunity to work across a couple of spectrums, uh, including at brands like Dr. Pepper and then even Sonic Drive-In, right? In that QSR space. Um, at the end of the day, right, my, my experience is really around just innovation, brand and category management and uh, corporate strategy. Um, and right now, you know, be it because of the pandemic and even before that, it, a lot of my role and my work is really just focused on understanding the future of food and beverage, right? And, and how we activate against that, which is really the exciting part. Excellent. So I think we should dive right in and kind of spitballing off that uh, background you gave with your role at Kraft Heinz. I was just wondering if you could give us a brief overview of Kraft Heinz strategy towards healthier products in both the snacking and the beverage categories. Yeah, actually, you know, Kraft Heinz um, just had our, our investor day a couple of weeks ago, right, and, and launched and, and showcased kind of the shifts that we're doing. Um, in the CPG world, uh, especially in the food and beverage space, um, our, our approach has usually been defining uh, the businesses by the categories that we play in, right? And that really means basically where are they shelved at retail. Um, looking at the opportunities to feel both, though, you know, we're, we're taking a very different approach and looking at what we're calling consumer platforms, right? So we're no longer focused on ketchup or gravy, for example, but we're focused on that consumer need. And one of the big things that we're seeing that should be no surprise to anyone, right, is consumers are really seeking this kind of authentic, this freshness, safe, quality products um, that are less processed at the end of the day from companies that they know and trust, right? Um, and to that end, there are three really big, uh, what I would call core platforms, right, that we, we launched at Kraft Heinz, one of them being kind of this whole idea of real food snacking, which um, hits on that trend of wanting to find whole ingredients in your snacking options and occasions, right? The other aspect is around what we're calling low sugar hydration, um, which, you know, pretty self-explanatory, right, but in terms of hitting uh, that beverage location towards healthier options. And then the last thing is really kind of this plant-based um, area that we know is booming and growing um, that our breakthrough innovation team is really tackling. So, so at the end of the day, we, we really have three avenues that, that we're focused on when it comes to this health and wellness space as consumer demands uh, shift and, and cement themselves. So I'd definitely like to explore the real food snacking category a little bit. I thought that was pretty interesting in some of the calls that we had had before we decided to do this podcast. But before we get into that, there is one section that I'd like to kind of cover, and that would be food as medicine. And I was wondering if you could give us a little insight into the types of trends you and Kraft Heinz are seeing among consumers that could kind of fuel new product development in this area. Do you have any insight that you could share there? 
Yeah, um, what I would say is food as medicine is really what we're calling potentially a subtrend of the larger food RX trend, right? And, and that's how we refer to it internally. Um, but at, what that really focuses on is, again, consumers are just continuously focusing on that interconnectivity that we have between ingredients and benefits to managing your total well-being, right? So what does that really mean and, and how do we translate that? Um, I would say that as we're looking at that, you know, there's there's subtrends that fall under that food RX, one of them being something of like the power of plants, right? Arguably that's here, that's already uh, in terms of proliferation and, and things that we have been seeing from, you know, impossible meats all the way through the cheese category, the nut category, milk category, right? What we're seeing in terms of emerging aspects that fall under this kind of food RX, food as medicine is really the move to functional benefits from food, right? Um, it's basically this search of consumers. They're proactively seeking ingredients to really help their, their brain, their mood, uh, their body. It's about performance and thriving, right? Um, arguably, a brand like Activia was probably one of the first to the game, right? If, if we remember kind of the gut health approach that they took. But the market has been very slow. Uh, but now we're seeing a lot of players kind of enter this functional component. And then that last sub-trend within kind of that food RX, I would argue, is that food as medicine. And it's really about turning to food to manage conditions like historically that were treated with medicine, right? We're talking about heart disease, diabetes, et cetera, um, that we've even seen things emerge in the marketplace like Kroger, right? They had a pilot program where uh, doctors can write food prescriptions and a health professional at a Kroger store would help you um, navigate the food to buy. Right. So so that's really kind of the future forward and what we're seeing as the next avenue um, in that space. So I was wondering if you have a specific product that you could kind of discuss that exemplifies the journey from conception to store shelves that kind of meets that food RX. I know you brought up Activia, but maybe there's another one that you can kind of give a little background on that would explain, you know, identifying the issue and then finding a way to solve it. Yeah, I mean, we are, you know, from a craft lines perspective, uh, we're definitely now trying to focus on that. And there's a lot of brands that have what I would argue low hanging fruit in that example, right? So one of the brands that um, is under my portfolio is Mio, um, which is a beverage additive brand. Um, and for the past about year and a half, what we're calling Mio plus energy is one of our best selling SKUs. Um, and it's very much a functional component of giving you energy within your water consumption aspect of it. Um, and a lot of that is tied, again, to those functional benefits that we see. Uh, we're seeing a lot of opportunities also potentially within coffee, right? Um, it's, an, it's a low-hanging fruit of being able to add components that do have functional benefits. Um, but outside of that, um, even looking at our kids' portfolio, um, you know, we've been moving to these categories of interest in something like hydration. Um, Creative Roots is a water brand that we launched uh, this year uh, in March, unfortunately, right before the pandemic. Um, but that really started as this idea of wanting uh, water for kids in that hydration platform. Uh, so that they can have the benefit of requesting it and wanting it at the same time. So that's uh, definitely one of the topics that I wanted to talk about, actually. So we can actually move into a little discussion on Creative Roots. So you kind of gave a little bit of background on the impetus to create the products and also a bit of an overview. But what could you say, uh, you know, I know it was a challenging time to launch it, but do you think maybe it was a little, uh, you know, fortuitous that it came out at that point now that we have so many kids 
basically going to school from home, you know, their parents are helping out with that student aid, uh, you know, role almost. Do you think that it was almost a fortuitous opportunity to release it at a point when people are going to be looking for these healthier drinks and snacks for their kids while they're all home? Uh, yes and no, right? It's a catch-22, um, I would argue, because uh, because of the pandemic, you know, uh, our shelving and stocking and being able to distribute the product was necessarily uh, a potential issue. With that said, though, I think you hit it um, right on the head, right, in terms of, yes, now is the time. And I think uh, a lot of the COVID trends that we're seeing have accelerated that desire, want, and need for these type of products. Um, at the end of the day, though, when we looked at what the purpose of Creative Roots was, um, <clears throat> we own the kids' beverage aisle, um, as Kraft Heinz does, right? Kool-Aid, Capri Sun uh, dominate that category. But what we're seeing is parents wanting to move to this whole notion of better beverages for their kids, and juice is just no longer cutting it, right, in terms of a product that they are happy with giving to their kids. Um, but we also know that kid request is the biggest factor in the brands that parents choose to buy to give to their kids. So not only do you have to be a brand that tastes great that kids demand, but also a brand that parents are okay with feeding to their kids, right? So it's a, it's a double hurdle uh, in that space. And yeah, I think that's interesting. You know, we had talked beforehand how about 10 years ago, there was this shift from soda to juice. And now we're seeing this shift from juice to uh, functional water beverages like Creative Roots. So I'm wondering what other types of beverages do you expect are going to come to the market in coming years to kind of fill consumer demand in this space? Do you think it'll all be uh, waters or do you think there'll be other types of beverages that have other added nutritional benefits that kind of take the forefront? Yeah, I would argue that the two biggest opportunities fall within tea and water. Um, right, in terms of that growth. What we're seeing in terms of just consumption data when it comes to beverages is about 75% of consumption occasions skew towards healthy or balanced, right? Um, so that ties to the decline of, of soda and, and heavy sugar juices. Um, but this move towards tea, waters, and then water plus, right? Water with additives either from... Uh, fruit inclusions from added benefits that it has on there. But yes, I would argue that water and tea is definitely where, where the growth is going for the segment, not only for kids, but also for adults. So earlier we were talking a little bit and you brought up real food snacking. So I'm going to ask you real quick to kind of give us an overview and redefine that for us. But I would like to know when you say real food snacking, what types of products are included in this category? Yeah, so real food snacking for us is a, you know, a large segment overall. So when we look at the marketplace, you know, this includes your yogurts of the world. It includes um, nuts, meats, uh, cheese, basically anything that falls under a snacking occasion that you would consider somewhat healthy, right? When you layer on the context of what we're trying to do and looking at our internal capabilities, for us, we, we have this equity in meats, nuts, and cheese, right, with, with the brands that we have. So really, that, that's really how, how we look at the category as a whole and more focused on not necessarily products in terms of brands, but more about which products out there are nutrition-rich, clean and simple, um, and just make you feel good in terms of you being able to consume it and drink it. 
So how prevalent is the consumer shift towards these types of products? And maybe you could give us a little timeline on when this shift really started being a uh, point of interest for Kraft Heinz. Yeah, right. Like, so what I will say is uh, at the end of the day, we also look at it in terms of what we mean by real food snacking, right? Um, consumers are not talking about their snacking occasions as real food, right? What we see is more about this desire of less processed snacks, right? Uh, eliminating the nasties, right? As we call it. So less sugar, less sodium, um, right? So at the end of the day, you know, we also have to be very cognizant. This whole RFS or real food snacking is very internal speak. And so much of our work is understanding kind of what does that translate to the consumer, right? And if, again, we have to summarize it, it's less processed, less artificial, and less nasties, right? Everything else is a is added benefit in this space and how we go about contextualizing. Looking at the idea of maybe looking into the future, what kind of products are in the pipeline that kind of fit this trend, uh, either at Kraft Heinz or just, you know, overall general trends you're seeing among consumer demand for products that people are looking for? Is it just legacy brands that are cleaned up or is it new emerging types of products that you think is going to be the bigger part of this market in the years to come? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, we would argue that there's a big opportunity for for branded players to enter the space in the sense that we have very well-known brands that fall on both spectrums, right? The salty category definitely owned by the Frito-Lays of the world, right? Um, your chips, et cetera. And then your sweet space really owned by, by the cookie players like Oreos, et cetera, right? But there's no such thing as a branded player and kind of that balanced, uh, wholesome kind of approach, which is a big opportunity for brands like planters, right? Like Lunchables that, that fit within how we're looking at the RFS definition for us. Um, with that said, right, we're also understanding what is what are the future opportunities there. Um, we've been looking a lot of what is the role of nuts, right? Do they always have to be the hero? No. Can they be an ingredient? Can you deconstruct the nut? You know, we've seen the whole movement towards almond milk and all these nut-based milks um, really kicked off that idea. But how do you deconstruct, you know, the nut and have it be not the hero, but something that you can leverage, you know, um, in a space to create a new product. And then even looking at things like nut butter, right? I don't think you can go <laughs> uh, anywhere and, and not see it or hear it. And, and Justin's, I think, has done such a great job with that. Um, and those are some of the examples of the expansions, right, that you can move into of what real food snacking really means. So the last topic I'd like to discuss today is one that's a little bit murkier than the other topics that we've covered so far in the conversation, and that would be CBD in both food and beverages. So I'm wondering, what is your prognosis for uh, the way CBD will be used in these food products in the uh, years to come? Yeah, look, I, in short, you know, if you ask me what's the bullet point answer, I would say it's the wild, wild west, right? Um, at the end of the day, uh, there's a lot of uh, lack of education in the space of what even CBD and THC and kind of all that space is. When we're looking at what the opportunity is with food and beverage, it really falls under that functional benefit, right? The relaxation, uh, the anxiety component of it. Um, we are seeing brands come out already that are CBD infused that are, you know, sparkling tonics that are, you know, saying, hey, you can, this helps with happiness and calmness and um, XYZ of all the functional benefits that you're able to get from it. So I would argue that that's probably where CBD is um, likely to emerge within that food and beverage space, uh, because it is the lowest hanging fruit. So how would a company like Kraft Heinz contend with the less than clear legal landscape for the substance when you're formulating, marketing, even conceptualizing a product, especially when you look from state to state that the regulations may be 
be a little bit different. Yeah, um, look, I, I would argue that it's actually more difficult for a manufacturer like the size that Kraft Heinz is, right, to be able to play in this space um, because it is federally uh, not necessarily aligned to what how we're going to approach it um, in terms of the legality and the components that go within it. That an approach for someone like Kraft Heinz is we we don't play in that space until it is fully approved, right? But we're seeing smaller players able to play in the space because of where they're headquartered and, you know, where they're distributing their brands and products. So right now within kind of the legal landscape, the approach is really wait until it's uh, federally approved and, and then move on it, right? The other aspect of it is if you look at it, a lot of manufacturers like Kraft Heinz also don't necessarily play in vices, right? Where we're family brands. So alcohol, for example, is something that we don't um, plan or, or or produce and distribute, right? So it also technically falls under a vice. So, you know, the argument becomes what, what role does that play even after it does get um, deregulated potentially, right? Or, or decriminalized. And I think that kind of rolls into the last question I have on this. And I think part of it with CBD is that you do hear a lot of miracle claims on what it can do, but there's also another side and FDA noted that there may be a link to liver issues with CBD and some other health impacts. So it doesn't have to be connected directly to CBD, but for a company like Kraft Heinz, how do you balance competing schools of thought when developing a product when it comes to health claims? So, you know, trying to balance the good and the bad, depending on what the science is telling. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we go based off our, studies and the and the things that we're doing right but that's also i would argue the murkiness that comes with going into a space like this right and knowing that that's something of a potential issue um we we are very big on mitigating risk right as a food manufacturer um and distributor at the end of the day so until those components get figured out i would just argue that that's even more of a hurdle right even if it were decriminalized understanding that that's a potential out there um, it becomes uh, more of an issue to address um, and a barrier to potentially even develop products in the space. So I think that about wraps it up for us on the Food Institute podcast this week. Once again, I'd like to thank Fran for his time today. Uh, Fran, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and Kraft Heinz? Kraft Heinz um, company.com. And, you know, we actually have uh, an overview there of our new consumer platforms and our enterprise strategy that actually just got launched. Excellent. So we'll definitely share the relevant links in the description of this video. Uh, so remember, if you're new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you'd like to learn more about the Food Institute, please take a look at the links in our description to learn more about us and what membership could do for you and your company. So once again, I'd like to thank Fran for his time today. And until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off. Thank you.